country, I understand, who's had a friendship with the Focolari for some 20 years or so. Very well travelled. I know he's been in Canada, he's been in Lopiano, and he's been to the um, Safai University uh, at Lopiano, so I'm sure he'll say a little bit about that. I understand, Dr. Shamali, you'll be happy to have some questions uh, towards the end of the session, and also to let people know that we will be joined by the young people for time out at the end of our session. Okay, so welcome, Dr. Shamali. In the name of God, the compassion of the merciful. I am grateful to God for giving me this blessing of being with you in this Mariapolis. Uh, this might be my sixth Mariapolis that I attend. And of course, some of them I was with my family for the entire Mariapolis, but this time is very short, but at least I am here for a day. I start with uh, the way I came to know Focolare. Some of you may have already heard me about this, but uh, I was told maybe some people didn't hear about this. And then I talk about my understanding of unity. And then if there is time about a new initiative we started in Sofia uh, University in Lopia. I came to the UK in October 96 for my PhD and my background was uh, I did Islamic studies. Uh, by that time I had already studied 14 years of Islamic studies in seminary and I also had done my BA and MA in Western philosophy at Tehran University. So I decided to do a PhD on ethical relativism in Manchester. I was granted a scholarship and it was to me to choose what subject and where, so I chose Manchester and I decided to do ethical relativism. And it was uh, the first time uh, I go to a non-Muslim country and to live there, but I thought this is a very good opportunity to know more about people of other faiths because where I lived we didn't have any non-Muslim and we had studied Christianity and other religions but I had no face-to-face -face encounter with many Christians. So we started looking for some good uh, friends among Christians with whom we can have dialogue and it's very important for us that we should have people who are practicing Christians. You know, maybe sometimes you know have dialogue with the people who are uh, secular or don't take their religion seriously. That's good, but the beauty is if you have dialogue with the practicing Christians and practicing Muslims, because this is to show how your faithfulness has not stopped you being in dialogue. Those who are not faithful, it's not you know, difficult for them to have dialogue, but we want to show that our faithfulness has not stopped us, and indeed our faithfulness has encouraged us to be in dialogue. 
So we looked for some practicing Christians who are happy to have dialogue, and we were introduced to the Focolare movement through a contact we had in Italy, and we were visited by Marietta. Uh, Marietta came from Liverpool to Manchester, and then we attended a day meeting in uh, Hope University in Liverpool, which was a very important experience for us. We came to see how our Christian friends love God, love each other, and for us being away from a religious you know, country and being in a secular society, that was a great hope and opened many horizons to us. And next to me was a priest, Father Jonathan Cotton from Leyland. And uh, I always remember that how that, you know, little conversation led to many things. So I asked him, I want to visit a Christian seminary. Uh, is it possible for me, you know, to, uh, he suggested to visit Ampleforth, which is a place for formation of monks. And we went there and I slept overnight there and then we visited many times. We started very good dialogue with the Benedictines, which is still being carried on. And just in May this year, we had the seventh round of Catholic Shia dialogue, which is mostly with the Benedictines. And also dialogue with the Benedictines has uh, even spread to other parts of the world. So. We also visited St. Ottilian in near Munich, which is another Benedictine community. And next year we are going to have our dialogue in Nairobi to take this story of friendship to Muslims and Christians in Kenya. Um, so that day meeting in Liverpool was very important. And out of that, many, many other things uh, came out. Uh, but our relation with the Focolare remained always special and first was in the UK but in 1999 uh, we went to Rome and that was our first visit of Rome we took part in convention for Muslim friends of the movement and uh, there were I don't know about 300 Muslims there and it was very good to see all Muslims from different parts of the world there and we uh, met Chiara for the first time. We also met the Pope, the late Pope John Paul II. And also we visited Lopiano. So my family and Marite, we went with the other Muslims uh, to uh, Lopiano for a day visit, but we, they went back, but we stayed for two, three nights in Lopiano. So since that first visit of Lopiano, 1999, Lopiano remained always in our heart and mind. Uh, if, uh, is everyone aware what is Lopiano? Yeah. yeah, okay. So, so we had that first visit of Lopiano. Then in 2000, I went back to Rome because that trip was not enough for me. So with Dimitri and I, we spent good time in knowing more, uh, you know, different places of the movement and Catholic Church in Rome, but also I traveled to Assisi, to Perugia, to Padua, you know, different places, and everywhere I slept with the Focolare in that town. And then I also visited different uh, Focolare friends. Whenever I was traveling, I was 
making sure that I meet some Shia there and some Fukulara there, among other things that I am going to do. So I visited them in Canada, the late Terry, you know, you know Terry. So when I went to Canada, I met him in US, in Philippines, in Poland, in, you know, Lebanon, even everywhere I try to see the Fukulara. Even uh, when in last November I was in Geneva, we had dialogue with World Council of Churches. Uh, then I asked people, is there any Fukulara around I want to see? <laughs> so they said there is a person here who is in touch with them, and then they called them Martin, and Martin came for lunch and we met each other. So uh, this was very important for me because I felt this is part of my you know, family, I should always meet. But also for me was a constant process of observing, you know, what is especially in Focolare. And, you know, as a person from another faith, from another part of the world, and knowing, you know, that there are so many different types of people, uh, it's not easy, you know, to completely trust another people who look very nice. And even when people look very nice, you become more suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Why they are so nice, you know? <laughs> so, so it was not easy, you know, to be completely trusting. We always took it with good faith. We always were, you know, happy. But also some cautious, you know, measure was there. And so this observing with openness, but at the same time with caution, was there. And so this happened a lot and sometimes I took people from home because when I finished my study I went back to Iran you know so I took some PhD students from uh, the institute that I was teaching to Italy and to Lopiano we stayed there and I remember uh, that when we were going back from Lopiano this has always remained my, my mind one of our you know, Kelleji man, young, you know, Kelleji man. He asked me, or maybe ask everyone in the van, uh, here is very beautiful, you know, Toscani here. It's very beautiful. <laughs> and so he said, if this is so beautiful, then how is heaven? <laughs> yeah. And then without thinking, uh, I told him something that uh, still I reflect on it. And I told him, in heaven, you too are also beautiful. In this world, normally beauty comes from outside, and we enjoy the beauty of outside. But when you go to heaven, you have to be yourself a furniture of heaven. So I think human beings in heaven are more beautiful than the sceneries in heaven. And heaven would be proud of the people who go to heaven. Anyway, so I have taken many people there, and we took, my wife and I took, a group of ladies also from seminary to Italy. That was part of a program we had. We were teaching them English, we were teaching them uh, other uh, religions, but also we made sure we take them to other countries. So we took them to Canada, to Mennonites, you know, CMU, Canadian Mennonite University. We took them to Lebanon, but in Lebanon we spent most of the time with Christians in a, a, a nest near Stern School of Theology, Holy Spirit St. Joseph Universities. Uh, we took them also to Italy. 
So our Focolare friends, uh, Roberto and at that time Cristina in Center for Territorial they organized some programs in Rome, Castle Gandolfo, but also we said we must spend some time in Lopiano. And in Lopiano, we had a very good time, like always, but every time becomes better. So we had a very good time in Lopiano, and we had a special meeting with the inhabitants of the town in the auditorium. And after everyone introduced you know, himself or herself, then there was a chance to talk a little bit about love. And when I talked about uh, our understanding of love, you know, we had very good sense of unity in the whole. And I felt so close to the people that that night remained in my mind. And I always thought, I wish we can go back again to Lupiano and repeat the same experience. So what happened was after that we invited some of our Focolare friends to come to Com. So Roberto Roberto, Cristina and Stella no, uh, sorry, Roberto, Cristina, Paul, and Stephanie. They came to call. Uh, I told them, please bring one person at least from Lopiano. So they brought Stephanie. Stephanie is in, uh, now in the International Center in Lopiano. So they came to come and we had a very good time there. And while they were there, I said, now I think we should have another visit of these ladies who were already in Lopiano for a longer period so that they can experience a little bit of formation. And this was new for us and this was also new for the movement because they didn't have Muslims who go there for little formation. So we finally decided to have four weeks program for them. So February 2015 to March, so mid-February to mid-March, we had four weeks program in Lopiano for these ladies, Shia ladies, from Com, but some of them came from different countries, but they all had to study in Com. So at that time, I was in London, and my wife was in Iran, and uh, the plan was we all meet in Rome airport, Fiumicino. So someone also was coming from the US, so we all met in Fiumicino. And the idea was that m my wife and I go with the group, introduce them to the Focolare and you know, be there you know, for the beginning of the program, two, three days, make them feel comfortable, and then return. But I was hoping that maybe at the end of the program, I can go again and see what has happened, and maybe repeat that experience we had last time in the auditorium. So we planned it this way. But what happened was when we arrived and we were supposed to have lunch there so that we go directly to Lopiano, uh, we left our luggage one place and we all were there. But someone managed to uh, steal the purse of my wife. So the main thing was her passport and English, you know, British visa, and it was, you know, disaster. So 
we had the choice of going with the group to Lopiano or remaining in Rome to sort out you know, passport and these type of things. But uh, thanks to God, we decided to carry on with the program. So we said we will sort out something later. So we went to Lopiano, we had the opening, and then the programs started, first day, second day. And over phone, we were contacting you know, Iranian embassy, British embassy, all these things. And one day we came to Rome and they were uh, cooperative, so they gave us a passport for her, we applied for again visa, and we went back to Lopiano. So as a result, our stay in Lopiano was extended. So instead of two, three days, it became about, I don't know, six days, something like this. And the extended time was the most beautiful time. So I always say, if I knew myself, I would have decided to stay longer. But we were thinking that, you know, there are other things to do. You know, we have to go back to London. So in those days, especially those extended days, we had very good uh, discussions, very good discussions. And many ideas, reflections uh, came to mind. One of the things we did in the extended days, not in the firstly planned days, was I met uh, Piero Coda, the president of the Sofia University, and staff and students. There was a meeting, and we talked about wisdom, which is Sofia, and what is Islamic understanding of wisdom. And again, we felt very good sense of unity. As students were not going outside, they were staying there. So over break, Piero said, you know, if you don't have class, you can join us for coffee. So everyone came to the coffee room. We continued the discussion. And right there, Piero said, we want to invite you to come to Sofia and teach, uh, you know, about interfaith. And also, he said, we want to, you to come to Philippines and teach in Philippines. We are going to have a workshop, something in Philippines. So, in April this year, I went to Lopiano to teach. So, I taught uh, four sessions, a group of MA students, who had a course on interfaith, and it was designed the way that different lecturers can go and teach. So, uh, the talks uh, were about Islamic understanding of dialogue and you know other faith and this type of things. After that, I had a meeting with Piero. And I said to Piero something that I have been thinking about it for several months and discussing with some popular friends in the UK and you know Italy. And I said, I think we can have something together as a test. I'm not sure it is going to work, but as a test, as a, as a way to demonstrate to God that we are really seeking understanding how to take unity further, let's, some of us, sit together, put our resources and ideas about unity together, and document it. If we see it's going forward, we carry on, otherwise we stop it. So. Piero welcomed the idea, and he said, uh, you know, I think we should do this. And he, he said, what should we call this? And just without any thinking in advance, I told Wings of Unity. <laughs> so he welcomed this 
idea of wings of unity. And later I realized that uh, coda also means tail. So we have now wings and tail, you know. <laughs> so, so a complete bird, you know. So we can fly now. So we decided to meet right after months of Ramadan in July. So in July, uh, we planned it that 7th of July, just exactly after Ramadan finished, we went there. I, I told this is, means that we have one month of fasting, you know, to prepare ourselves. <laughs> so we went there and we had 8th, 9th and 10th of July discussion between some Shia and our Fokulara friends. And uh, thanks to God, was very a special experience. Uh, and because we already knew each other for many years, there was you know trust, there was you know love, everything we could understand each other. So we were able to really talk heart to heart. And one of our uh, Fokolare friends uh, said that the way you speak, every Italian can understand. Then one of the Fukulara told me, he actually said to him, the way Muhammad speaks, my mother also can understand. <laughs> so, it was not me having a special you know, art. I think it was God that opened our hearts. We were able to understand each other. So we had three days program and was unity of God and unity in God. So we talked about how we understand oneness of God, but how this should be translated into unity of mankind. We cannot have one God and be divided. So we discussed this, and then uh, Piero suggested that there should be now a kind of a statement, a mission statement for this Wings of Unity. There should be two you know, co-directors, and there should be a council, so we did all that. So Piero and I are the co-directors of Wings of Unity. We are going to meet again in January to continue our discussion. We are going to also uh, have a course for 20 Shia and 20 you know, Christian youths uh, that come for one week to Lopiano in July next year and we will teach them about unity. And also they said, we want you to come and teach in January all the students of Sofia, because that time, last time was just a group, and this time will be for all students. And we are going to document these things to see how God is, you know, taking us further. So now what started with simple uh, interest in knowing other faith, uh, for me has become a very important and essential part of my understanding of myself and my role in this world. And I am more than ever convinced that the best way for me to demonstrate my faith in one God is to work for unity of mankind. Any person who is really trying to be a servant of God should be a voice, an ambassador, an agent, an instrument for unity. And if we don't understand how our love for God should lead to unity, then we have not understood God, we have not understood love, we have just become selfish. So 
one of the things that uh, I maybe said before, but I always want to remind ourselves is that if you really love God, you should try to see that more and more people love God and praise God in different colors, different traditions, different you know religions. Not that you say, God is only for me and my people. You don't have any right you know, to think about God. Your God is not real God. Our God is real God. This is all lack of maturity in understanding and lack of sincerity. If you are a lover of God, you want to be the last one and you want to first make sure that everyone else goes and meets God and you just serve them. So, this is now a mission that, although I thought from the beginning I have to have this mission, but more than ever it becomes you know, clear that this is a mission that I should have and I try to pass on to other people. And what we see in the world is making it necessary. It's not something, you know, that you do it as a hobby or when you have time you do it. It's a necessity that we have to work for unity. Even now it's clearer compared to 20 years ago, 30 years ago. This unity is needed very much. So what I want to say is a little bit about what I think is God's plan for creating this unity. Of course, I cannot understand God's plan. I am too little. But at the same time, I think there is something about God's plan that God wants us to understand. So I try to say to God and to you believers in God what I think is God's plan. My understanding, based on philosophical thinking and on the Quran, is that God's plan is that humanity would be united around the truth but not by force. He didn't want us to be created as united people by force. He wants us to choose freely to be united. Unity is something that cannot come by force. It should come by love. So the Quran says, Had he wanted, he could have put all people together under guidance. But he didn't want to force this. So he invites us to unity. He helps us for moving towards unity. He inspires us, but he doesn't force us. So that we establish this unity. So for this, God has done two things. One is in creation. God has created us from the same mother and father. The fact that God is our creator is enough to feel united. But on top of that, God has created us from the same father and mother. This should give us more sense of family. Even if we were from different fathers and mothers, still we should be united as human beings created by God. But now we have more emotional feelings. We are all children of the same father and mother. And the Quran says that the reason for giving us different colors, different languages, and being in different nations and tribes is so that you know each other. Mutual knowledge, mutual recognition 
is the reason we have different colors and different languages, different ethnicities. If we were all looking the same, it was boring, <laughs> you know? This diversity is making life better, making relations easier. You know, you can identify who is who. If you were all looking the same, you know, we just need a fingerprint. You know, whenever you want to meet someone, you have to just uh, check fingerprints so that you realize with whom you are talking. <laughs> this is beauty of colorful mosaic or carpet that you have different colors in different places. But unfortunately, some human beings didn't get the message. They thought God has created us in different colors so that I say I am better than you, you say I am better than you. I am more clever than you, you are. Even some philosophers, unfortunately, didn't understand and they justified slavery by saying that, you know, some people are physically more, you know, strong, some people are, you know, intellectually stronger. But the plan of God was not this. The plan of God was to be one family but with different colors, so that there is more beauty, easier identification and relations. And when it comes to revelation, so this was about creation, when it comes to revelation, what we understand from God is that God has not sent prophets with different messages. To every nation he has sent messengers, and these messengers have brought the same message. Maybe details are different. Maybe some variations in the conditions asked to be addressing different issues. But essence is the same. And one of the beautiful things we find in the Quran is that this use of book. You know, we, we say people of the book. You know, for Christians and Jews, and I think Muslims also are people of the book. Means we believe in need for divine guidance and revelation. In the Quran, we have many verses that God talks about the book in singular form. For example, Ja'atum Rusuluhum bil Their messengers brought them the signs from God and Kitab al-Munir, illuminating book, not books. We have book, but in some verses we have, for example, Mary believed in all the books of God, or believers believe in all the books. So, is it book or books? And my understanding is this. God has sent one book, but it has manifested to us as books. It's one book. Different editions, different versions of the same book. Otherwise, if you read these books carefully, you realize it's one book from one person, not different books. So, the Quran says that God sent messengers and prophets to all nations and provided them with law after they started differing. So there was revelation, but the law came when they were divided. But unfortunately what happened, the people who were given these 
messages and books to be saved from differences and conflicts, they started differing on the books. So there was a difference before, and now we have a difference afterwards. So for example, Islam brought unity. You know, in, for example, Medina, there were tribes who were killing each other, and they were tired of this. They went to Prophet and invited him to go to Medina from Mecca and bring them, you know, peace. So the Prophet brought unity to them. But then, after the Prophet died, again, there was disunity. So this is the, unfortunately, a common practice of human beings. God gives us something to unite us. After some time, we learn how to fight over that unifying thing. <laughs> Look at, you know, what happened in Christianity, in Islam, in Judaism, in all religions. First, we have something that unites us. Then we start fighting about this unifying factor. A leader comes, but then after the leader passes away, people start, you know, fighting, you know, what was it, you know, he teaching us. So, God has the plan that we should be united, but he doesn't force. So he keeps sending books and prophets calling for unity. And the plan of God didn't involve having different religions. The plan was one religion. And that is submission to the absolute truth, submission to the absolute beauty, absolute goodness, absolute love. That's one religion. But we gave it different names. And then even sometimes within the same religion, we started fighting that you are not Christians, I am Christian. Or you are not Muslim, I am only Muslim. Even fighting each other, killing each other, excommunicating each other. Why? We all are supposed to be believers in the same religion and that is submission to God the absolute truth so this is going to carry on but finally this world would reach the point that we would be united by our will not by force this world would not end without us being united around the truth who is going to be pioneer in taking humanity to this unity, then that's something that we can, you know, hope to be qualified for that if we work hard. If we don't do, if our generation doesn't do this, another generation may do it. But certainly this is going to happen, that humanity is going to be united. And in the end of time, we would no longer have different religions, different schools, different, you know, uh, orientations. We would be able to understand how we all really focus on God the One, on the absolute truth, love each other. I can follow my prophet, I can follow another person's prophet, I see beauty in all of them, and for us these things are not except different signs of the same God, different manifestations of the same God. We need to move to that direction. And what I have witnessed after so many years, and now it's maybe 19 years from first time we met Focolare, is that I think the Focolare spirituality is 
a very important gift of God for us to move to that direction. So now, I think after 19 years, 18 years, because from last year I'm saying this in public, now I am able to say with full trust that this is a right type of approach to unity. And now I know why these people are so nice. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, it's really nice. It's truly nice. Because these are the people that have emptied themselves from ego. They don't have any hidden agenda. They don't have any selfishness. They just want to serve God by being voice of unity and love. And this is what makes Focolare very special. Of course, thanks to God, I have seen other Christian you know, groups or Muslim groups who are like this. But for me, Focolare are very special because I have spent more time with them. I have known them more and you know, I have seen what they have done. So I'm not denying uh, other people, but I can here with confidence say that this is a movement that has really uh, been inspired and is helping us towards this direction of unity. And unity, if it is done properly, if you work for unity properly, by its very nature, you would not be confined to any tradition or denomination of religion. It's impossible to work for unity and being just a Catholic or just Christian or just Islamic or just Shia or Sunni. If you really work for unity, God would rise, raise you to a position that everyone will feel happy to be with you. If you stress on differences, people more and more leave you. But when you work on unity and on God, which belongs to everyone, you see more and more people come. And this is interesting as we just heard that even Kiara at the beginning maybe didn't feel that this spirituality is going to be for outside the Catholic Church or the Christian, you know. But gradually, she realized that how the spirit is working, and this is something that started in northern Italy and with some Catholic girls, but it's not going to remain there. And God is going to take it everywhere. So this is our responsibility to help this message spread. And I think this is the message of all people who truly believe in God, the people who are informed, well informed about their faith, not ignorant, not short-sighted, not you know, one-sided or narrow-minded. Everyone who is truly informed about faith should have the same approach towards unity. And any person who causes division, tension, conflict, violence, war, this is a person who has not understood his faith. This is the minimum we can say. If there is no, no mischief in the heart, at least we can say there is ignorance. How can faith lead towards killing? How can you know, belief in God brings disorder and tension and conflict? This is impossible. It just can be either there is no really faith, it's just a kind of you know, mask to cover, or it's ignorance. A true faith should always bring peace, unity, to individuals, to families, local community, national community, and internationally. 
So we have to build unity over unity. There is no way to confine unity to only one space. Unity spreads all over the world and we have to be ambassadors and voices for that. So I want to thank God again for this gift of knowing the Focolare movement and knowing my Focolare brothers and sisters and I pray that our journey together would be inspired all the way by God so that we can better understand and better fulfill our responsibility towards this unity. Thank you very much. say thank you Dr. Shamai um, and those are such inadequate words for the great riches and great wisdom that you have shared with us and we are very very grateful for that um, I think we showed our appreciation it is really a new dimension and shows how unity is something that is for all the world to be shared and um, Dr. Shamali has kindly said he would perhaps take any questions, so we have a roving mic. If anybody would like to ask any questions on what we have heard. Hello, my name is Elisa. I'm Italian. It's not really a question, it's, it's more really to say that thanks to what you discussed with us today, what you presented, I didn't feel any diversity between us. I really felt you were bringing up to God and that God that unifies us as Muslims and Christians. And uh, I wanted to ask you perhaps, how was your first encounter with the Focolari many years ago? What struck you at the beginning that um, made you take that step to go and, and talk with this young group and with the Maritere that you were saying? So thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, so after we arrived in Manchester, so we were trying to find some people, and unfortunately we were not able to find some people locally. So my wife uh, contacted her friend in Italy, who was uh, speaking to her about uh, Focolare, and. We said, here we were not able to find uh, people, so can you ask if those people exist in UK as well, <laughs> so that with them maybe we can start. So uh, they contacted then the Focolare here, and then Marita was in Liverpool, which was the nearest house to Manchester. So she visited us, and we always took these things seriously. You know, many times God gives us opportunities, but we don't take them seriously. So every invitation, you should take it seriously, every you know, meeting. Uh, I'm not saying to accept every invitation, but take it seriously. So, because many, many things I have seen in my life, 
that started by appreciating a simple word or conversation or meeting that you never thought it is going to be so important. And many things that you are so important, maybe they actually are not that important. You know, the way we measure importance is different. You know, so this is uh, then how she came, and then we said, you know, we want to know more. She said we are going to have this day meeting in Liverpool. She said we should come, you know, and we would uh, be able to see and understand more. And then after that, we took part in Mariapolis in Lake District. We were the only Muslim family. Uh, we were there, and you know, in the night we had you know discussions in corn mill in the day, you know, uh, school. So then we kept in touch. I'm originally from Malaysia, and uh, I be became a Catholic last year from an uh, Anglican. And um, Malaysia being 60% Muslim, I've had many uh, cleric being the spokesman of Islam saying that Islam cannot be divided from politics and religion. It's a fused. Uh, what is your opinion on that? That politics and Islam is one. And uh, second question is, um, how, uh, as a Catholic, we venerate our, our Lady as uh, the Mother of God, and how does Islam see our Lady as? I think uh, politics is part of human life and we should be inspired by our religion how to do politics. What is wrong is to reduce religion to politics. This is wrong. For some people politics is the only thing that matters and they even use religion in order to reach their political gain. It should be opposite. As believers in God, as people who want to bring mercy to this world, we should also do politics with this intention, to bring mercy to this world. But it's very difficult and, you know, very uh, sensitive area. It's very difficult to be involved in politics and remain spiritual and remain, you know, focused on your mission. But this is something that we need. But for the people who have reached maturity and, you know, wisdom, and have been able to demonstrate you know, the love for humanity, then I think they should not be hesitant to enter into politics. But not that every person gets to politics, because many people start with good intention, but over time they are carried away by you know, pressures and you know, these type of things. So this is about the first question. About Lady Mary, uh, you know, Lady Mary for us is very important. She is the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran, and we have one chapter dedicated to Lady Mary, but her story is mentioned in many chapters. We have more about the childhood of Mary in the Quran than in the Bible, and so she's a very important figure for us, and the Quran mentions some of the qualities for Mary which are very outstanding, and one of them is she is Siddiqa, means one of the most truthful people. And she is also purified by God.
because you know in Islamic spirituality and also in Christian spirituality you know we have to purify ourselves but in the Quran we have two stages one is that you purify yourself but then the stage comes that then God purifies you completely so you exhaust yourself in purification but the time comes that you cannot do anymore then God completely purifies you so Mary was completely purified by God was chosen by God and uh, she's very very special uh, I have a little booklet Mary Jesus and Christianity an Islamic perspective so I have talked about uh, Lady Mary according to our perspective I think the, your speech really um, gives us hope in today's uh, turbulent world and um, it would be very nice if we could share your speech with people who are not here. So would it be possible to have copies of your speech? Sure. Please, thank you. And on my Facebook also, I normally post uh, all the things about, you know, interfaith and meetings, you know. And so this speech also will be put there, but I think our popular friends are also going to put it on the website. Yes. And uh, uh, also discussion I had, uh, Unity of God and Unity of God in Sophia, that is also already online. So if you Google Unity of God, Shomali, I think it will come. Dr. Shamali, uh, thank you very much for your wonderful speech. And um, I think it's, it's, it's great that, um, you know, um, Christianity and Islam, you know, coming together in this way. And, uh, I mean, for, for Christians, obviously, um, we have the unity that we want to um, bring together, you know, between... Um, Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox—that that's the issue for for the Christian. Now, with the between Christians and and um, Islam, Muslims, um, that's that's wonderful that we're you know getting together. On the uh, the other issue, how do you see the situation with um, the Shia and the Sunni unity there? It would be it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about that. Thank you very much. In large, the relation between Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims have been good. Not perfect, but in large has been good. But unfortunately, in the last few decades, uh, an element of radicalism coming from certain places that we know has affected some Muslim minds. And one of the things they do is as soon as they get their you know feet on the ground they try to emphasize on this divide and you know we call them takfiri these are the people that say you are you know uh, kafir you don't have faith and unfortunately they then create this sunni shia division so in countries in which they even didn't know what is to you know to be shia or sunni <laughs> Now they have made people, you know, conscious about these divisions. And you hear about terrorist, you know, attacks in the West. But you have to know this has started much earlier. 
in Muslim countries and the main targets are the Shia. They believe if you kill a Shia, it's much better than killing a Christian or a Jew. Uh, and they go explode Shia mosques, shrines, and kill pilgrims. They burn, you know, their places of worship, their houses, because uh, this is the way they think, you know, that uh, they can go to heaven. So I can say most of Sunnis and Shias, they don't have problem with each other. They are brothers and sisters. Over years, we have uh, worked uh, together, lived together. But when this extremism comes, it affects everyone. Even I was telling Francia last night, I would not be surprised even in few years you would see extremism among Christians and Jews because this is nature, you know, it's like a virus. It's not going to be confined to any religion. <coughs> Unfortunately, our modern way of life has produced elements that make violence a first choice for some people. Individualism is something very, you know, dangerous. And, you know, enjoying, you know, these games of, you know, killing and shedding blood. You know, I don't know why no one is talking about we should stop these games for children. From childhood, we are, you know, making them, you know, feel proud of more killing and more, you know, explosion. And then we expect that, you know, when they come, you know, uh, to the real life, they would understand the difference. So these are the things that if we don't do something, may reach other religions. You, you can find Hindus who are extremists, you know, Buddhists, Christians, Jews, you know. We have to understand this is nothing about Islam or any particular religion. It's mindset of some people that may happen to be Muslim, they ha but even if they were not Muslim, they were doing it another way. And as uh, the Pope, you know, said recently, uh, you know, he said very nicely that in the plane that I cannot, you know, I don't like to talk about Islamic violence because every day newspapers in Italy, I read, you know, someone killed a, a fiance or mother-in-law and these are Catholics. So if I speak about Islamic violence, I have to speak about Catholic violence. This is the way the Pope spoke. So I don't want to say this is Sunni also is violence. This is not Islamic, this is not Sunni, this is some people. They, they are less than one person. Because imagine, you know, there are about 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. And if they were violent, even insects could not live in this world. <laughs> if, you know, 1.5 billion are violent. It's just very a small, uh, you know, minority. But they can trouble us. They cannot destroy us, but they can trouble us. And we feel very sad for them because many of them are young people that are misguided. We feel sad for them. We, we, we feel especially sad that they are misusing the name of a religion, which is religion of peace. Yeah. So we as Muslims feel very sad. And we feel also sad that humanity is losing lots of resources combating this, the resources that could be spent for education, for welfare, for healthy water, you know, housing and this. We should work for having a world in which we invest more on education than weapons and on dialogue than, you know, embargoes and sanctions and these type of things. Mm 